six, we be in the mix with that rare candy paint job on the whip. I need food for the kids, money for the rent. Fuck a lockdown, baby, I can't do that shit. And I don't never vote, cause I'm fucking broke. And either way, I know the police ain't gon' leave me alone. On a plane by the visit, land rock, need crypto. Told me I should bring the Glock with me, so I packed up my piece and I'm sliding. Cause we might get caught up in a riot. Middle finger Trump, middle finger Biden. Fuck a left, fuck a right, is you riding? Ain't no politics, baby, we just talking From the birds to the bricks, we be in the mix With that rare candy paint job on the whip, who you with? Very, very special episode today. Um, somebody that we've wanted to get on this program for a while. Um, we've got the great Whitney Webb today. Uh, Whitney Webb okay. is an author, she's a podcaster, um, a researcher. I mean, a researcher, I think, is the most, like... Uh, like the, the the best term I could use because every bit of your work, it isn't just you shouting something like just being like, Hey, this happened guys, uh, please believe me and stuff. There's all sorts of <laughs> yeah. stuff that corroborate that ev- uh, evidence yeah. and things like that. It's very thorough. It makes people who think a little bit differently, actually uh, get a little bit of reassurance in the way that they think. So um, first of all, welcome to the show. Uh, we really appreciate you for coming. Thanks. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So um, I really, really want to talk about, um, you know, when you got started doing this, like, what were you like? What was the first thing? The first thing that was just like, okay, time out. Everything I knew before now was wrong. Like, what was the first thing? Okay, so uh, in terms of like everything I've been told in school and whatever is, is full of crap. That moment came way before I started writing. So okay, that well. was probably back in, uh, uh, I was in university, um, you know, by the time I graduated in 2012, and it was pretty, uh, yeah, black-pilled maybe, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. terminology for that, yeah, and um, obviously uh, I didn't really know anyone else my age that felt that way about stuff, kind of isolating, um, and that was around the same time I, I moved to South America and mm. started living down here, so I have, you know, about over a decade um, down here and you know I was trying to do random stuff I guess to make money and um, you know eventually the some website I was reading had a uh, writers needed on it and the guy mm. I was dating at the time was like well maybe you should think about ah. you know writing uh, for them since you read their stuff so much and you could probably do it and I was like uh, no one wants to read what I have to say and that's how I felt um at the time, and I guess maybe a lot of people feel that way because, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think anyone looks at this space and really knows exactly how to break in and quote unquote make right. it, right? Um, so I guess I just, uh, you know, I at the time I was making maybe like 30 bucks a week, <laughs> yeah. um, not very much money at all. And um, they, I, it was kind of like a sweatshop writing job. I had to do like four <laughs> articles a day four to five articles a day. Oh my gosh. Uh, And I think I got like 20 bucks a pop, which, you know, for here in Chile at the time was actually pretty good money because it paid in dollars, you know? Right, Um, right, right. Yeah. And then um, some of the stuff I did there, uh, Mint Press News really liked and and they hired me and I started there uh, the beginning, January 2017 um, and stayed until, you know, a little bit into 2020 and then sort of did my own thing. I teamed up with uh, T-Lab for a while. and uh, then I made unlimited hangout to kind of try and do my own, my own project, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I I think it's funny, like you said that, like you had a significant other that was that was like, hey, you should do this, <laughs> and like I always joke, I don't think she actually feels this way, but like you know when I when I started. You know, my wife was always like, you should be in broadcasting. You should be in broad." I always like thought of it in my head. It was funny. It'd be like, stop talking to me. Go, go talk to something. Yeah. You know, so I stopped, I go talk yeah. to this. Don't talk to the other crazy people. I've heard that before. <laughs> you know, just things like that. And um, it is funny to have that encouragement where you're like, actually, can can I? Like, do you think people actually want to hear this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess so. I mean, the reason he said it is because I was actually having a, a very small blog at the time, but it was in mm-hmm. Spanish. I wasn't writing in English. It's actually much easier for me to write in English than Spanish. <laughs> so right. I was like, yeah. well, I guess, yeah, I'll try doing English now because it's not so bad. And I mean, it went over uh, well, obviously. <laughs> I'm uh. still... Do you give him a kickback, like a percentage of every, you know, 5%? Thanks for giving me in the game. Um, Don't give him any ideas. (laughs) There was no paperwork. There was no paperwork. No, anything. (laughs) Shark candy peel. Yeah. No, it was just a suggestion, I guess. Very very nice. Very nice. And now um, you were rather early. Um, It's become kind of like. I, I feel like I hear it on like mainstream things now, but like the whole Epstein thing, like you've, you were rather early on that. If I've, I have that correct. I remember like the day I found out I was like, like probably 2017, I think, which even that was late for the amount of stuff that was coming out. But I remember thinking like, how could this be happening? Like how, how could this cabal of, you know, whatever, whatever you want to say this kind of like blackmail agent uh, just be like, involved in every aspect of the thing that rules my life and nobody cares but now it's like it's kind of like a tongue-in-cheek joke in the media that people will make like you'll 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 hear it on like mainstream comedy sometimes like epstein stuff and like is that just discouraging a little bit that like people just kind of like laugh it off now after like well it's become it's become like a meme hasn't it like epstein didn't kill itself and it's like haha um and then it's like oh wait um crazy unaccountable government um Mm -hmm. you know taking away everyone freedom stealing everyone's money uh hurting everyone into like a slavery corral um <laughs> and you know let's you know joke about it and meme it i mean yeah. you know i guess that you know, people have different ways of dealing with shit that's really dark that goes on mm-hmm. in our world you know um but sometimes that stuff translates into people like, like well you know they're coping right but at the same time it's like you know there's no really action that comes out of that Mm, no, it's yeah. just sort of a a way to sort of divert and and manage that situation without really having to, you know, demand any sort of change from the powers that be. And I think, you know, I kind of understand it because um a lot of people don't want to acknowledge the current state of affairs right. or the current state of, you know, the government. Yeah. Um and they want to believe continue to believe that like voting can change stuff. And things like that, like a lot of people have a lot of trouble leaving that particular paradigm and don't really want to have to live in a world where it's dark, it's dark like that. Right. Um, But, you know, some some people eventually get to the point where they're like, they don't want to live a lie. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? But some people prefer (laughs) to live the lie, you know, Mm so, you know, it's a it's like a journey for a lot of people. And there's a lot of different ways people cope with this stuff. Um, But when it comes to the Epstein stuff, I mean, I think part of the problem, too, is how mainstream medias handle it. And it was obviously very intentional, um, a way of focusing just on the salacious stuff and being like, you know, the creepy sex stuff. 
and all of that and not focusing, for example, on the fact that uh, the people that enabled Epstein, uh, nothing happened to them, right? Um, and really, in, in my opinion, Epstein was someone more like middle management. Mm -hmm. So if the people <laughs> essentially responsible for him are continuing to do the same crap, I mean, you just sub out Epstein for some other dude and it just continues. So they, they quite literally did it for Ghislaine Maxwell. I'm not that she wasn't implicated in it, but I just remember people kind of like, I, I found it like, I, I obviously understand wanting her to get like a bunch of punishment, but I just remember like people saying like, oh, she got sentenced to jail and people were like planting a victory flag. And I was yeah. just like, well, yeah, no. but it's not, you know? <laughs> well, no, not at all. Because if you ask me, the whole reason why Epstein was arrested in general and why he was offed has nothing to do with his sex crimes. 100%. Oh, totally. Yeah. It, it was because he pissed off somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, when you get into these levels of like intelligence, organized crime and political power um, and, and some of these transnational power structures and stuff, there's a bunch of factions and they're like at each other's throats a lot you know maybe they agree and they have like you know agendas that dovetail with each other uh but sometimes they butt heads and then when that happens a lot of times heads end up rolling right mm -hmm. and someone like epstein had his hands in a lot of pies for a long time but his bread and butter wasn't sex trafficking it was financial crime right. and there's been no interest in looking at that from no. the mainstream media at all and what the implications of that are and some of them are very very significant um as it relates to wall street today and even things like the 2008 economic crisis the collapse of bear stearns like epstein's relationship with wall street and the banking sector is totally insane and it's the same too you know a lot of his relationship with the clinton family there's just been the focus of epstein uh you know taking bill clinton around on this plane Lame. and people are like oh that means bill clinton must have had uh you know sex with with minors but beyond that the reason he was on the plane in the first place is because epstein was helping him set up the clinton foundation and the clinton health access yeah. initiative Great. and that came after uh, epstein's whole white house relationship essentially revolving around criminal activity disguised as political fundraising for the clintons some of which was investigated by congress um, and some of which also ended up in, you know, things like Vince Foster's suicide note, like all sorts mm -hmm. of crazy um, ties to, you know, funny money business with the Clintons and no, no interest in looking at that even from the conservative angle. And I would argue a lot of that is because of the Israel affiliation sure. with Epstein. And you have a lot of, you know, the preferred conservative commentators about uh, some of the some issues in you know conservative conservative land whatever mm -hmm. being people like Alan Dershowitz you know totally. um, who are tied up in this whole thing so I mean you know there's there's obvious limits about where people want to go with this particular story um, and uh, you know that's why I think mainstream media is focused so much on this salacious stuff because they're essentially um, covering up a lot of the other provably criminal activity that you know the people backing epstein were um using him for because again it's not just sex trafficking but that's what um one it gets clicks and is also a useful justification for um you know uh, justifying why he was uh taken out when he was taken out right can we, yeah. can we just do a quick tangent of what's the clinton sure. health access initiative you mentioned that i've heard of clinton foundation but like i've i don't know too much it, it's like a one. subset of okay. sort of the clinton philanthropy so you've stuff like the clinton global initiative right which is mm -hmm. sort of came out of the same thing and epstein helped set that up for example okay. as well according to his defense lawyers in 2007 at least mm. um and the clinton health access initiative um it ended up later teaming up with the bill and melinda gates foundation pretty extensively oh, and you have epstein great. also 
really involved in Bill Gates' philanthropy. And before Epstein was infamous, Bill Gates actually credited uh, Epstein with essentially designing uh, CHI, is the acronym, right, of the Health Access Initiative. Its, it's whole HIV AIDS program was designed by Epstein. Uh, Bill Clinton essentially said that. And this is disturbing because, as we know now and has been admitted by The Guardian, The New York Times, and other mainstream media outlets, Epstein was a eugenicist and yeah, very yeah. interested in that type of stuff. He was also trying to data or, or uh, collect the DNA of all the people in the U.S. Virgin Islands, a lot of whom, you know, are not white. Right. Just right. like the focus of the HIV AIDS program uh, that he helped design on, under the Clinton philanthropies, of course, was focused largely on Africa. Right. So okay. a lot of weird stuff going on there, to say the very least. And again, people aren't really interested on that. They're just interested on in saying how many flights on the Lolita Express I, yeah. Clinton flew and not what those flights were about and not what the Epstein Clinton relationship really was about, which was, uh, you know, financial criminal activity. And I always thought it, I always thought it was so weird that it was like it, it was such a the Lolita Express being like this thing you always heard about like he had a plane it was called the Lolita Express it's like off of Kubrick's movie uh, and the, <laughs> the book the Nabokov book before that which is like that always felt like something to me like some kind of plant like that was just like oh like you know yeah. just like like a d distract like here's my plane called the, the like pedophile plane you know basically yeah well even before so the other thing about epstein and planes he <laughs> along with leslie wexner have the cia mm -hmm. airline relocated to run cargo expressly for leslie wexner's company in the mid 90s the same time he's doing all these white house meetings mm -hmm. uh southern air transport right which southern wow. air transport in the 1980s was involved in iran contra including to arkansas where bill clinton was governor and of course course clinton himself was had you know connections to the iran contra scandal and then clinton's in the white house and then that same airline uh gets active uh again you know directly connected to epstein and wexner and instead of going from miami to latin america where it was running arms and drugs for the whole contra support apparatus um it starts going from columbus ohio where the limited is based wexner's company uh uh -huh. to hong kong and back and at the same time there was this political fundraising scandal uh one of the central figures in the white house of that scandal was mark middleton who epstein was meeting with at the time and that fund that scandal is remembered uh, or colloquially referred to a lot as China Gate, because a lot of it involved stuff in the Far East, uh, Indonesia, Hong Kong, and a lot of the places where this, you know, Southern Air Transport route between the Limited and and, and the East was going. Uh, and it's very bizarre because essentially Wexner and Epstein were specifically looking for an airline with intelligence ties. Uh, they tried to do a couple different airlines before settling on Southern Air Transport. The other one was Aero Air, which was also tied up in Iran-Contra. Do you know how many airlines were in the U.S. at this point in time in U.S. history? And they literally go after like the two that are most tied up with this crap. It's right. pretty telling, you know. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, you know, you mentioned Bill Gates. Uh, he is uh, a, a, somebody we talk about a lot on here. And that even tends to be the, the the sentiment that everyone gets mad about for Bill Gates. Like, it's okay to get mad about him because. Yeah, or like Klaus Schwab. They're like yeah. these people in the front. And uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's because and, and like the first thing people say about Gates when they when they first learn that maybe he's not the the savior of their life or 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 any of this yeah. stuff. Is I'm that amazed he people up. think that. It is. I, I'm a Silicon Valley guy. Like I live in Silicon Valley. There's people who are like, no, he's great. Like he's amazing. It's jarring. Yeah, when you hear worship. Yeah. It's a problem. Yeah. It's really sad. Yeah. Like it's really sad. And mm -hmm. so he ends up, 
you know, the thing, but people will go, yeah, but you know, the whole Epstein plane thing, like it's, it, it is, it is a thing. Like they get kind of like, like, yeah, yeah no, I, no, I'll admit it's a little weird that he went on the plane. Like, and it's like, no, that's, I'm not going to lie. Like that's probably like the, I don't even have that in the top 10 things that I hate about Bill Gates. Like it's, it's <laughs> on the list. don't get me wrong. Like I'm not, I'm not saying it's nothing and I'm not saying he wasn't doing weird sex stuff. I'm dead. It's, it's quite clear to me that he was. However, we're, I mean, this is a guy who has consistently just kind of like lied his way to the top and kind of, and he's played yeah. the game better than anybody, you know? And so I, we talk about Gates a lot, but like, to you i I would love to hear just the the bill gates uh anti-bill gates manifesto if if we could (laughs) okay well do you want the anti-bill gates manifesto as it relates to his epstein relationship or just Uh, no no actually no because i i know how it seems like i know how bad that is but i i just like people don't know about you know people don't realize that it's the largest private landowner in in america right a farmland i should say yeah and just the things like that where those don't get talked about right his just his health czar stuff and things like that uh-huh. yeah i mean he has a lot of insane influence over public policy and i you know frankly i don't think that people in the national government for example in the u.s or elsewhere really write their own laws anymore they essentially get handed policy papers from a oh, bunch yeah. of think tanks or groups and so you know, when you look at someone like Bill Gates or even groups like the World Economic Forum, essentially what they exist to do is to connect those policies drafted by these crazy people to national governments. And, you know, essentially what you, national governments are seen as are enabling environments. Mm-hmm for this these particular policies and so bill gates is one of these guys that sort of does that and he uses his foundation for that purpose so the foundation will go and donate to you know the world health organization for example yeah. or different uh entities and then be like well in exchange for more donations we'd like to see you enact these policies right because mm-hmm. bill gates has been pretty open that his philanthropy isn't philanthropy as most americans conceive of it right it's not altruistic it's done for, it, it's he sees it as a return on investment you know, uh-huh. yeah. um, and he's even openly said that, for example, about his philanthropy as it relates to vaccines and vaccinations, totally. yeah. um, that it's all about the return on investment for him. Yeah. And some of that is about altering policy agendas, you know, for his benefit, whether it's, um, you know, things that make him money or whether it's things that he wants to see, you know, changed in the world as it is today or wants to see people nudged in a certain direction. Um, so people that see Bill Gates as this altruistic philanthropist are mistaken. You know, he's taken a, a page out of the book from the Rockefeller family. He sort mm-hmm. of created this, uh, the use of philanthropy to launder their extremely criminal reputations. Um, and, and, you know, Bill Gates is one of several billionaires that follow and have followed that same model. I mean, Epstein himself, right, used to be promoted by Bill Clinton as a great philanthropist before oh, his yeah. arrest uh-huh. before 2008. And actually, Epstein was very influential in shifting philanthropy in general to this new model, which is really, you know, it's impact investing essentially disguised as altruism, yeah. you know. Um, and that's why he was so involved with the Clinton Foundation and also the Gates Foundation. Uh, and, you know, people like Michael Milken, who's like a Wall Street criminal from the 80s and a convicted felon. He created the Milken Institute in this same period of time and is now a philanthropist also, um, not an insane junk bond trader that almost collapsed the economy, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's it's amazing what you know pr money can do for some people yeah so as it relates oh sorry mm-hmm. no and I, I just i i guess what i'm saying is, is like you know a lot of times when you see things about gates uh 
a lot of people can say like, okay, if we didn't have Bill Gates, somebody else would take his place as as the sure. health are the things that. I don't even know if that's true though. I, he feels like one of one kind of kind of guy. Like I think, well, I, I, I think don't know if anybody could do it as good as as quote unquote good effective as I should say uh, as 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 him. Like he seems like he has that extra gear. He uh, likes being out there mm-hmm. doing this stuff. He likes being the face of these policies. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's kind of like a dweeby guy, and he probably feels like, look at me, I'm on top. I get invited on all this stuff, and all these mm-hmm. people praise me, and I pay all these. You know, he he funds a bunch of media organizations, like the BBC, for example, is one. Uh, um, yeah, and you know, I mean, he they help him launder his reputation, right? Because, um, you know, back in the nineties, Bill Gates was not really well liked at all. And he was being sued by the government because Microsoft was a monopoly and all of this Uh. stuff. He's a very ruthless businessman. So for people to think that he's all of a sudden had this sudden change after being sued by the U S government with via antitrust laws. And he's like, I just want to help them. Poor Africans. Yeah. Even though his dad was, you know, tied up in eugenics stuff. Um, at Harvard, you know, right? Was it? Day. Was that Harvard? No, he ran Planned Parenthood Planned before Parenthood, Planned Parenthood yo. was necessarily about like birth control and and stuff like that. And when, when it was, it was way, you know, the yeah, Margaret Sanger <laughs> yeah, organization. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it had a lot of um, associations with the American Eugenics Society uh-huh. um, at the time that Bill Gates' father was involved with it. I also um, think it's. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, it's fine. What I, I also say? think it's crazy. I mean, yeah, there's the computer stuff, and obviously he's a scammer from the start. But even more recently, the India vaccine campaign getting sued by the the Supreme Court of India and every African country, there's always some major group or political group that wants them out of there. And the other thing I've noticed is how cheap a lot of these organizations like, you know, like I went to a university dropped out that was sponsored by Bill Gates and he gave him like four million dollars, which is not that much money, you know, and they're like, oh, we'll do whatever you want, you know, and and all Mm -hmm. these people sell out pretty cheap, you know, for Stuff some people do yeah mm-hmm. you know it's crazy yeah. yeah but i don't know yeah, yeah. but um well the thing i do want to make a point about as it relates to epstein is that i would argue that it's not really a, the bill gates epstein relationship it's the epstein microsoft relationship it goes far beyond bill gates wow. and the fact that they try and keep the mainstream media focus about the gates epstein relationship on beginning in 2011 when that is provably false is because at that point in time uh gates was no longer calling the shots at microsoft so they try they take microsoft out of the equation despite the fact that epstein had a very close relationship with microsoft's chief technology officer going back into the late 90s and early 2000s nathan mervold um and then also another top microsoft executive linda stone uh, very involved with Epstein as well. Uh, connected him to MIT uh, Media Lab and stuff like that. And she actually hired as her uh, secretary one of the women from Epstein's entourage, one of his ex-girlfriends. Mm. And there's a lot of uh, connections there and, and a few other people as well. And um, this one woman that Epstein was essentially using as a, uh, I would argue for sexual blackmail, but also more than that, because she wasn't a minor. She's like, he paid for her education. She became a neurosurgeon and then became his science advisor. She became Bill Gates science advisor in the early two thousands. Um, and then, uh, but a lot of, so Epstein sort of had two parallel sex trafficking operations and one of them, uh, didn't involve minors. It really involved cultivating women when they're um, in university uh, or a little bit younger and sort of making them into the perfect woman and then shopping them off to elites in his circle. 
you know, sort of acting as a matchmaker, I guess. Crazy. And he did this on numerous occasions. Um, I, I, allegedly Trump's current wife uh, and the girlfriend he had before uh, mm-hmm. Melania, mm-hmm. Uh, he Trump was connected to them through Epstein this way. Uh, and there's other people as well. But this particular girl I'm talking about now, Melanie Walker, uh, ended up being sort of married off to a top Microsoft executive as well named Steven Sanofsky. So there's Jeez. a whole bunch of weird Microsoft connections. And also Epstein went on an official Microsoft trip to the to Russia in the late 90s uh, with Nathan Mervold. And why was he involved with that? It's, uh, you know, there's a bunch of odd connections there. And it's a broader issue of the Epstein Silicon Valley connections. Uh, having, for example, it's known that Epstein, you know, hosted at his ho- uh, his home people like Google co-founder Sergey Brin, mm-hmm. right? And they, they try and make it just about Bill Gates again, too. But after he left a top Silicon Valley company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now you have the top people of Google. You have Elon Musk knowing Epstein. Uh, you have Mark Zuckerberg knowing Epstein. You have Reid Hoffman of LinkedIn knowing Epstein. All of these guys, uh, the big wigs at Silicon Silicon Valley had deep ties to Epstein, Jeff Bezos as well. There's no interest on talking about them. And this is a broader issue of the Maxwell network specifically being really involved in the subversion of technology for the purpose of blackmail and mass surveillance, uh, going back to the 1980s and to Robert Maxwell himself. He's, of course, the father of Ghislaine Maxwell, mm-hmm. but also like Ghislaine's sisters. They were also involved with Microsoft and all this weird tech stuff um, in the same period. And then you have Epstein and Ghislaine having a, a parallel involvement and Glenn and also having direct involvement with some of her sister's companies that were teamed up with Bill Gates and stuff. Uh, very bizarre ties there. So I think the interest in, you know, again, it's a limited hangout when it comes to the Gates Epstein relationship. They want it focused just on the philanthropy stuff just after 2011, right. even though it's provable that they had a relationship before 2001 Epstein and Bill Gates, um, you know, they, they won't touch it. Yeah, the That's go- crazy. The Glenn stuff is, crazy people just assume that she came out of nowhere but you mentioned her father and her sisters and i that's something i don't know quite as much about but it's it's these people are like groomed into these into these oh uh, yeah and delane definitely uh, yeah. was by her yeah. father who was a crazy person a complete insane narcissist and it's very clear if you look in, into galane's childhood she was extremely psychologically abused as a child and then basically turned into what robert maxwell described as the female him and he clearly saw galane as an extension of himself not as right. her own person and arguably saw his other children as that too but galane he used for different purposes wow. because he was she was sexually attractive uh, the other female siblings he didn't think were right <laughs> so he tried to set her up with uh different powerful clans including the kennedy family uh actually when he first made his foray into the u.s um in the late 80s early 90s he he was trying very hard to get galane set up with a kennedy Uh, yeah Mm -hmm. what and it's um it's nuts because you know there's a there's a sentiment of the spaces that that our show kind of uh is involved with on on uh whether there's left-leaning people or right-leaning people a lot of people think that there's some sort of collapse happening in america or the west or whatever you want to say like there's left-leaning people that will say late stage capitalism it's all crumbling down uh this is just kind of what happens after years and years of capitalism but then there's people on the right that are like no just because of lack of morals uh you know open borders whatever anything like that, that that there's another collapse happening I have a tough time believing that there's an actual collapse happening because I don't I think the Gates 
uh, Clinton, all these people would be going down with us if that was the case. They're not. That's the thing. Like they always have money on the back end. Right. Like as far as the COVID austerity, that made more billionaires. Right. Totally. Like that, yeah. that made it was more designed things. to do that. It was a wealth transfer. And every preceding economic crisis has been that. I would argue that potentially the only difference we're seeing now is that there's a major effort to completely reimagine and remake what we conceive of as money. Right. Uh, there's an effort to introduce these central bank digital currencies, yeah. uh, the idea of programmable money. And I think it's pretty clear if you enter into that paradigm that they're just like there's a two tiered justice system today. They are, uh, the programmable money thing is a two tiered system of control. Um, certain things that apply or that would apply um, about how you can and can't spend your money in a CBDC sort of paradigm would apply to the regular people, but probably wouldn't apply to Bill Gates, right? Because it's very unlikely that even though someone like Bill Gates goes around, you know, talking about climate change and, and all this stuff, he's still very uh, personally not going to give up his multiple homes, uh, his private jet, you know, and, and all of his stuff. It's, it's rules for the rest of us, not mm -hmm. for these people, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think they're not threatened by that paradigm. If it were to pass, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so I would agree with you if it wasn't really for this whole effort to reimagine what the economy is in general on a global scale, because there really isn't a country of significance today that is not developing a central yeah. bank digital currency. And whether you think, you know, um, Russia and the BRICS and China and the BRICS countries are the good guys going against evil U.S. empire right, right. or like, you know, any sort or, you know, any sort of they're all developing this stuff. They're all going yeah. this way. And to me, that says that in general, national governments around the world are getting increasingly interested in domestic control in a way that is very disturbing. Um, and I'm not going to co-sign that. And I don't really care what national government it is. Exactly. You know? Exactly. You can't because that to me, it's like if you thought that okay the west was against the east almost in like a team sport kind of way like sure I, i'm sure it's some sporty yeah. yeah it does seem team sporty <laughs> however <with coughs> response to covid of of all these countries it seemed rather coordinated right enemies it was totally, of enemies, coordinated. totally coordinated to the point where it's like okay well even if it was team sporty before 2020 there was a consolidation right like there totally. were there, there, even like some could argue before that that it was that it was always that way not really not really something of interest to me all i see is that you don't get to uh i guess what i'm trying to say is like it's it's clear that I don't think that the U.S. is interested in a quote unquote like war with China. Like, you know what I mean? I think they want to stoke the flames with it. I think there's certain things with it. But at the end of the day, like, you know, Gates is friendly with China. Like that wouldn't be happening if we were going into like war, right? With China well, or something. Well, it depends. I think, again, if you think of capital, capital is not, does not respect national sovereignty. It's transnational, right? Okay. So all these billionaires and stuff have no, I don't really see them, whether they're based in the U.S. or elsewhere, necessarily is having allegiance to the country they're citizens of or they live in. Their allegiance is to their money and their power. And that is transnational these days for sure right. um so in terms of what you said earlier about how the left looks at this for how the right looks at this uh, uh -huh. i honestly think uh neither of these are really true mm -hmm. um what i would say is that what's going on right now is really the uh enacting of a very long-standing plan uh that goes back to the 70s if not earlier so i sort of wrote about this in my last piece about um the background behind Jamie Dimon, the current head of J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, um, and I was writing about uh, Samuel Pisar. So Samuel Pisar is a 
when he was alive, was a famous lawyer uh, based in Paris. Uh, but he is the stepfather and essentially the person who raised Anthony Blinken, the current U.S. Sure. Secretary of State. Um, so, you know, obviously his influence is relevant today. He was also probably Robert Maxwell's best friend, uh, definitely his lawyer and his confidant and, you know, obviously involved in a lot of the shady stuff that Maxwell himself engaged in. And in the early 70s, Samuel Pisar is testifying uh, before Congress. Uh, and he's talking about the rise of what he refers to as the trans ideological corporation. And he's essentially talking about how private Western capitalist enterprise were intermingling and essentially fusing with communist state run enterprises and that all the businesses of the world were consolidating power together to create a global uh, unified uh, economic structure that um, was more powerful than national governments and that the nation state was becoming irrelevant. Yeah. It make, that it, was it, in it, the early seventies and he was just telling Congress that yeah. straight wow. up. Um, and there's a lot of other groups like that that have similar ambitions. So a, a good example would be the Trilateral Commission, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, from the Rockefeller nexus. And so, again, you have the Rockefellers being very powerful billionaires, shaping in very significant ways, major assets of American life for over a century, including um, essentially designing a lot of the current education system and the current healthcare system in the U.S. going back to the early 20th century, among other you know, major influences. And David Rockefeller in particular uh, was the guy that ran Chase Bank. Now, you know, JP Morgan Chase, that Chase, right? Mm -hmm. Which has always been very tied to um, intelligence and other things. And actually in World War II, the Rockefellers had their own private intelligence apparatus. They essentially operate as their own wow. uh, private CIA, I guess what? you could say. So the Rockefellers are a very crazy family. Um, but the Trilateral Commission has the same goal of creating sort of this uh, economic structure that's more powerful than national governments, sort of like a shadow government, right? So a lot of people, mainly on the right these days, like to use the term deep state. Sure. Um, but ultimately what they're trying and often fail to express with that term um, is that there's these transnational power structures that are much more powerful than the power structures we're told actually run things. Yeah. Right. And uh, more often than not, this involves intelligence agencies and it involves organized crime. And that's because intelligence agencies and organized crime have lots of similarities. And ultimately mm. uh, what they're in they're what they come to get. The reason they come together is because it's all about money and power and uh, they're above the law. Right. And so. Mm. You know, it, what we're having is them essentially creating a mega cartel of economic power. A lot of this is through the dominating of the banking sector. And yep. again, this this transnational uh, stuff over time that's going on, in, you know, with capital flows and, and other things. Um, and it's it's all about I, I think it's really all about that at the end of the day. So I think a lot of this talk about nation state versus versus nation state, when you consider that some of the most powerful people in the world have been attempting to build something that sits above that since yeah. the 70s and that they've yeah. been wildly successful um it's hard <clears throat> to not see it as team sport stuff and when you consider how for influential for example the rockefellers were in the opening up of china in the 70s with the kissinger visit and all of this yeah. stuff and how china has developed since then uh, the rockefellers actually take a lot of credit for the current model of of the chinese economy uh which you know china has i think more billionaires than the united states does oh yeah right so it's really hard to argue I would say that they're like classically communist, like a lot of people uh, claim to do. Um, and if you if you think about it, 
Um, well, people that actually look into this stuff, there's like this phenomena in China that's been referred to as the princelings or the red princes, mm -hmm. essentially um, children of powerful party leaders uh, from yesteryear who were put in charge of state run businesses and became fabulously corrupt. Um, some of them even, even being disowned by uh, their parents that were party elders because they were so excessively capitalist and corrupt. Um, one of these was actually involved with that Clinton scandal I referred to earlier, Chinagate. He was in charge of the China's main weapons manufacturing conglomerate, basically China's top arms dealer. And he was disowned by his father, who was a communist uh, party uh, leader for being so against the whole communist ethos and was basically just like uh, a Western capitalist fat cat is how he yeah. described his own son and disowned him. <laughs> essentially right so a lot of people looking at china from the left like don't even bother to incorporate this sort of stuff into yeah. how they look at the country um and i think that's really problematic and you know i would argue essentially what we're seeing now is sort of a baton pass from the unipolar model to the so-called multipolar model right and like you mentioned earlier, uh, COVID policy, biosecurity policy, technocratic policies, digital IDs, central bank digital currencies, all of this stuff is, is even farther advanced in the BRICS countries than it is in the United States. Yeah. Um, and I would argue that, you know, essentially what we've had over the past several decades in the U.S. is an effort to really going into overdrive, starting with Reagan, is a hollowing out of U.S. economic and military power uh, for the purpose of this planned transition. So yeah. whether that means that World War III never actually happens because the U.S. collapses beforehand and power shifts that way, um, or if we're intentionally being, the U.S. is intentionally being led into World War III knowing it will lose and this baton pass will happen, I mean, either or possible. It really depends on how things uh, play out. But I don't really see it, you know, I think a lot of this seems just so scripted to me these days. Yeah. You know? Uh, exactly mm -hmm. exactly and it, once you know you know as you said uh, uh once you know the history behind this stuff it's like okay it's all lining up you know it's all it's all lining up there's nothing yeah. that's like really straying from that but you did mention you know central banking digital currency huge thing now full, full disclosure my co-host and i have owned and traded Bitcoin before. So we have. That's okay. Yeah. I go on a lot of Bitcoin podcasts. I tend to get a lot yeah, of Yeah, which Bitcoin I just saw is. that recent. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and I'm, I, to be honest, I'm not a maximalist of it at all. I was just kind of like, mm -hmm. well, it's rising. Let me see if I can get some. Okay. Yeah. It's falling. <laughs> let me sell. You know, like I was just one yeah. of those. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was just like one of those guys. Like I just, I mean, like my co host actually would sit there and trade mm -hmm. and, and do the, do the charts and stuff like that. There's like, right. I, I, you know, I, look, at the end of the day, I hate the new like palm pay that they have at Whole Foods. You can pay with your palm and stuff <laughs> like that. Do it. Oh, I, don't I'm, do no, it. I never people will. People should yeah. just opt out. No, I, I, I have I a chip say. card and I don't even really want to use that. But I, you know, that, there's yeah. places that like and I live in Silicon Valley. They, there's places that just don't take cash. It's insane. Mm -hmm. Oh, like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like there was a like a. It, I don't. It felt fake. There was an extremely fake coin. <laughs> like at Starbucks, there was a, a coin shortage during COVID. I was like, no. Oh, the coin shortage was fake. Yeah. That just sounded fake. I was like, you just want, you just don't want to have change for me. That's like the thing. Like it just, it sounds like that. So, anyways, nonetheless, what if you could give us a history of like central banking digital currency? I know you've alluded to it already because like I've seen the advent of a lot of things in Silicon Valley, but it happens slower than like we see in movies and stuff where it's like this drastic rollout to where you kind of just get used to it after a while but like yeah. how far back does this go 
In terms of central bank digital currencies, I'm actually uh, not sure that much about where the idea essentially mm -hmm. came from. Um, and um, I don't know. I mean, I, I've only really reported on it since it became uh, more out in the open, I guess, you know, in, during and post COVID era. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think it, it, um, I only really noticed it then because it became very overt, this push towards digi digitalizing literally every mm -hmm. part of our lives uh -huh. uh, under what, you know, the umbrella term for that tends to be the fourth industrial revolution. Right. Right. Um, which, you know, the people that created that term define as sort of a fusion of our biological and digital selves, which is creepy. Um, but it's really a push towards that. And you have major people in the national security state of the United States wanting that to happen. Not as, you know, as completely aside from the central bankers, uh, people like the National Security Commission on AI, which was essentially the most powerful people in Silicon Valley with the military and the intelligence community. It was headed by Eric Schmidt, who has uh, basically his own uh, office on that he pays the salaries of in the Biden administration. Uh, working on stuff for him, very crazy uh -huh. stuff. So, you know, Eric, their whole thing was the U.S. will lose its military and economic hegemony, which of course is all the national security state has ever cared about in the U.S., unless the U.S. adopts artificial intelligence and these technologies to an extent farther than anyone else. Mm -hmm. And so their main competitor in this regard is China. China already has like a mega cities model. A lot of people are onboarded almost exclusively onto paying with their smartphones and using the smartphone for everything. Right. Um, and so they say we have to go beyond that. And this is before COVID in 2019. And this included, you know, eliminating cash, uh, forcing payments to be, you know, cash apps on people's phones, yeah. um, eliminating in-person doctor visits, forcing a telehealth paradigm. All of this stuff got rolled out or advanced or promoted uh, during COVID, including self-driving cars, the elimination of private right. car ownership. That was all in there. And they were talking about this in 2019. The oh. intelligence community, the military, and the most powerful people in Silicon Valley, which I would argue are essentially the people that run the United States these days. Yeah, right? uh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And exactly. so that's where they want to take it. And part of in within this PowerPoint, you have quotes from Kissinger and other people, which is interesting because Eric Schmidt is being described as the new Kissinger, and he's actually written books uh, with Henry Kissinger about AI. Um, it, it's essentially saying, uh, quoting this idea from Kissinger, uh, that in order to avoid war with China, we just have to adopt these policies faster and more extensively than China and collaborate with them and building a paradigm where that is so for everybody everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And people like like my, you know, my relatives who will watch Fox News and be scared of China all day, they're kind of like they might not like that idea, but they're like, well, it's it's for war with China. We, I mean, we have to you know, we have to do it. So it's the, the state of fear, the fear that, model. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is, 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 so is really so they present literally only two possibilities with China. It's either war or it's this. This yeah. is the peace camp in the national yeah. security state. That's yeah. Exactly. And Scary. the peace camp sees peace only as coming through complete top-down technocratic uh, control. Yeah. <sighs> Scary. Crazy and, stuff. No, and <laughs> and like, you know, you 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 hear about people like my 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 parents love it. My parents who, you know, they're, you know, 60 and they love the the they love Venmo. They love all that stuff. Like I want to hand them cash. For them. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's it's great for them, but I'm like they remember not using it. Like I understand a 21-year-old person loving, you know, digital currency because the most of their life they've seen at least a card transaction as as the primary yeah. uh, uh thing. But like my like it's crazy how well it 
how like a generation that remembers having to like actually balance a checkbook and things like that they just adopt like palm pay like my dad yeah well boomers have been primed for this whole pitch of convenience well we oh, look how convenient on, yeah and they're like the oh my god yeah look how cool this uh, is guys exactly. and they go and sh- you know all the boomer jokes essentially come from there right like oh yeah. look how cool facebook is and like right. oh i'll never use facebook again my uh-huh. my aunt just messaged me about you know i mean yeah 100%, yeah they're primed for falling into these traps essentially but here's yeah. the thing if you cannot imagine yourself living without your smartphone or living without these apps, they have already enslaved you. Basically, yeah, it's true. No, it's, it's true. It's it's the carrot to get you into the the corral, basically. And if you can't live without it, they have you. Yeah, and also just even like even in a in a smaller way, like it's just easy to just not even care about the price of things when you can buy it with your phone. Like I know obviously people see it, but like you're just it's a lot easier than having to get out an a a, a set amount of dollars out of your wallet. Cause you're like, damn, that's actually a, a lot of money, you know? Like like I'm pulling out of my wallet. Oh, but it, it's even crazier on that the mind games people play about this stuff. Uh, mm. I know somebody in independent journalism that's ostensibly against this, against this stuff, and mm. uh, they refuse to stop unlocking their smartphone with their face if you're against facial recognition why can't oh. you just go back to like a little number code do, 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 or something you know yeah. at the very least you're essentially giving like letting them develop their facial recognition technology uh with you and if you can't stop doing that even if you work in this field i mean i find that really troubling personally yeah because people scoff at like the idea of like ai you know taking control of things or just, you know, whatever a lot of people still see that as like crazy well, i think like, some of that's a psyop all the fear-mongering about how powerful sure. chat gpt is and all this stuff i think oh and, do you and, oh yeah because remember a couple months before chat gpt there was this google engineer who was like oh the google chatbot which is the same type of model that chat gpt is is sentient <laughs> yeah, you guys remember bullshit. that yeah, and then yeah. it was all promoted by the new york times and all this stuff and then it, it was revealed that he'd heavily edited and basically faked the transcript that proved sentience but they were running with it because they want people to sort of see AI as some sort of God because they want to put AI in charge of the government. Because when you put AI in charge of the government, it prints out these policies. And then you're like, oh, well, it's Eric Schmidt has literally said this. Um, AI is so much smarter than us that it made this decision and we can't question it because we can't understand how it reached this conclusion. But it's superior. So we got to do what it says. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that for these guys is the perfect like Wizard of Oz like screen for them to get away with every insane policy they've ever dreamed of and 100%. never have accountability ever because it'll just be like computer says yes, computer says no. And it's Kissinger and Henry Eric Schmidt that wrote a whole book about that paradigm essentially and why it should happen. There's an interesting thing <laughs> awful going awful idea. Yeah. There's an interesting thing going now where US policy is becoming so host- openly hostile to crypto innovation. <laughs> Uh, which is totally understandable from their point. While at the same time, this AI push is going absolutely crazy with the C, the central bank, bank uh, digital currencies. Mm-hmm. And I f- it's so funny. I, I, I don't expect like normies to understand, you know, what Bitcoin is, but it's so interesting how they really still have no idea what it is and what makes it 
special or any decentralized crypto special. Well, yeah, a lot of people, yeah. for example, that are just casual observers assume that Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency are synonymous. So like all yeah. cryptocurrencies right. and Bitcoin are the same. Uh, but then you have Gary Gensler, the SEC chair, uh, saying that Bitcoin's a commodity, but all other cryptos are securities. Uh -huh. um, and that yeah. should just tell like the regular lay person that like there is a difference. Right. Yep. And to maybe look into that if they're interested, yeah. um, I guess. But I think the reason you're seeing this big regula regulatory crackdown is because the Fed is preparing for central bank digital currency time. And if you have any other digital currencies that are competitors to the CBDC, the CBDC will not be widely used and adopted because the whole reason they want a CBDC, as admitted by heads of central banks, whether it's the head of the BIS or the head of the European Central Bank or whatever, it's all about this programmable money functionality, meaning they can make your money work and not work under certain conditions as they see fit. If you say the right thing or the wrong thing. Well, that's one right potential thing. application, but one, so in CBDCs that have already been rolled out, for example, China's digital yuan, they, it's, it expires. Fuck. Yeah. So the central <laughs> bank decides whether you spend or don't spend, you save or spend your money. You can't wow. save essentially. And I remember you Mark Cuban, Mark Cuban floated that idea for our stimulus. I remember like the stimulus oh, check. Yeah. He was like, Hey, it's like gotta be spent at like, you know, in the economy, right, like right. you can't save it or else like we get, he was like that. I don't think that's what happened, but yeah. like you, you, that was, that idea was being floated out there. And I remember people thinking like, wow, so true. It needs to stimulate the economy. So, right. Yeah. So maybe if it, you know, they start with the expiration date and that's the only programmable function it has for now. But yeah. you give that type of micromanagerial control to these people and they're going to yeah. push the envelope because they always yeah. have. And why would they do anything different than what they've done uh, throughout history and why give them that insane power? Um, so anyway, that functionality. So, for example, in the paradigm where you can get financially punished for thought crime or financially punished um, for your dietary choices and <laughs> stuff like that. If you have a currency that's equally valid, also digital, that does not impose those restrictions on you, you're not going to use the one that imposes restrictions on you, right? So the Fed has to destroy, first of all, they have to destroy stable coins. They have to destroy competitors to the Fed now service. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, really any sort of digital yeah. currency competitor has to go. I've so, this is the first time anyone's brought this up on the podcast. Glenn, are you aware that there, the Fed is creating a U.S. dollar coin called Fed Now, which I think is no. Like it's just not a coin. It's like a settlement service. Oh, okay. Oh, um, so oh, they can, oh, it's, it's a twenty-four yeah, yeah. seven transaction. <laughs> I love thing. that. So name, instead of Fed just now. having to bank and, and and stuff like that during banking hours, right? Yeah. It can be whenever. <laughs> and this that's is great. some people have argued that's why like Signature Bank was shut down, and I think Silvergate also because they sort of had um, systems that were seen sort of as being competitive to that um and then a lot of uh, these recent you know bank issues uh, you know cause problems for major stable coins like usdc for example yeah so i think that's sort of the the target there um but in addition some of the stuff that we've been talking about before you brought up crypto and that are also related to crypto is this broader effort to essentially control the internet and eliminate online anonymity as well as financial anonymity in mm -hmm. general. Um, and so it, 
the entity that I think people should pay attention to in that regard is a public-private partnership that's housed within uh, the World Economic Forum. And it's very important for Americans because uh, some of the biggest banks in the U.S. are part of it, like Bank of America, as is the Department of Justice, the FBI, and the U.S. Secret Service. So, you know, those parts of our government are involved in drafting these policies. And what they uh, argue for, there's a couple things they argue for. One is the merging of Wall Street banks with their regulators and law enforcement for the purpose of preventing cybercrime. Interesting. Um, and then another uh, you know, policy they wish to see affected was actually pitched by during the Obama administration, this whole idea of a driver's license for the internet, meaning a government-issued ID. Uh, tied to your internet activity. And we're already seeing efforts to sort of push this through when Elon Musk owned Twitter, where people for Twitter Blue can connect their government-issued ID and be super verified. Yeah, um, That was always the goal, right, for social media, is to have it tied to a government-issued ID because no more troll accounts, right? No more uh, mm. anonymous stuff. They'll know everybody that say, they'll know who says what. Right. And, right. and you're already having people being arrested for social media posts in the U.S. Um, William Barr in the Trump administration made this official government policy. He created a program. The acronym of it is DEEP. Um, and it's essentially a pre-crime program. And people that have posted inflammatory crap on Facebook and elsewhere have been arrested just for those posts. And, and you know, um, that's a very troubling paradigm. And if you have this government issued ID stuff and also Barr, when he was attorney general, argued for a backdoor into encryption and all of this stuff. And that's also being argued for by the Biden administration. So, you know, Democrat or Republican, it's all going in the same direction. Um, and uh, so the partnership against cybercrime, they say all of this has to happen because bad to stop bad things from happening on the Internet. Right. right. Um, and so if AI is deemed as a threat or anything, uh, hacks, whatever, you know, they're going to come in and say, like, oh, OK, now there needs to be a global regulatory effort to make the Internet safe again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to see this push to have a government issued ID connected to your Internet activity. And they've been planning that a really long time. And the other part of it that's mentioned in their policy papers of this particular a group is about crypto. They argue that cryptocurrency is a major driver of cybercrime and that in order to stop that, not only do you have to use governments to basically prohibit people from using a cryptocurrency as legal tender, you also have to drive the value of cryptocurrency to zero because as long as it has a value, they argue it will be a driver of cybercrime. And they define cybercrime not just as hacks or ransomware attacks, which is sort of their selling point initially, but if you actually read the policy paper, they argue that people people that spread misinformation are also cyber criminals. And they talk about stuff like pulling out websites by the roots, like completely eliminating their web presence uh, unilaterally and doing all this stuff um, through this fusion of like banks and law enforcement and all this stuff uh, to go after people they deem cyber criminals. And they even talk about going outside of existing uh, regulatory and legal frameworks, meaning breaking the law in order to do that. And again, the FBI and Department of Justice and the U.S. Secret Service are drafting this policy. They're yeah. like the public part of the public-private partnership, along with UK wow. and Israeli intelligence. That's the WEF partnership against cybercrime. I think more people should look at them. <laughs> I, agree. A, <laughs> I agree. I agree. And now um, they're nuts. You, 
So you've been extremely gracious with your time. And I, I, again, really appreciate you coming on with us. But now I have to um, ask you one more thing, because I asked this to everybody who does like extensive research on this stuff. We had somebody by the name of Corey Morningstar on a long time ago. Oh, yeah. she's, she's wonderful. However, yeah. you could see that that a lot, everything she learned kind of contributed to stress about it because the fact either whether it's other people not going along with her, like, how do you guys not see this? Or just, oh, my gosh, this feels so overwhelming and insurmountable it can kind of wear on you do you do experience the same thing where it's just kind of like man like i i love uncovering this information i love making it available to people but i'm what do we do you know (laughs) yeah Yeah, i mean not anymore i mean i kind of just do what i do and hope it has an impact and put it out there because i have to do something and thankfully you know i've i've worked pretty hard over the years and have a platform where like a decent amount of people sort of listen Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh to what to what i say and i've I've had a pretty pretty um you know good track record and being able to reach a certain audiences that maybe some other people with similar information may not be able to, um, for whatever reason, uh, or maybe because I started off sort of on a progressive left outlet, like Mint press news and, you know, was always tried to sort of uh, frame my work so that it could be, you know, I was trying to appeal beyond the left, right paradigm. Right. Um, but I mean, sometimes, you know, you have days where you want to smack your head against a wall and other days you feel really hopeful about stuff. Uh, but ultimately a lot of this stuff, you know, there's, the responsibility you can take for your own life and, you know, stuff you can do in your local community. Mm -hmm. But a lot of this big stuff is not necessarily like in my hands. And, you know, if you're going to stress about stuff you don't ultimately have control over, uh, that's probably not going to end up being very good for you. So it's more important to stress and worry about the stuff you can control uh, in your own life, you know? Um, the other thing too, is that a lot of people, you know, get really strung out by like how dark this stuff is, Mm -hmm. but it's only really gotten this dark because people haven't said or done anything about it. And people haven't taken responsibility for their own lives. And instead we've been, you know, conditioned to do it, of course, but essentially been giving our, um, outsourcing everything about our lives to the corporations that want to enslave us all. (laughs) Right. So, you know, that needs to stop and power needs to come back to the people. However, that happens, you know, you can only do you're if you're one, you know, just a regular person, you can only do so much to affect that. Right. But you can do your part and do what you can, you know, manage what you can control in your own life to push towards that goal. But it's going to take a lot of people coming together to build some sort of parallel system or parallel paradigm to avoid being herded into what's being made for us by these, uh, you know, these people that we've been, we've been talking about today, but I think it's also important to keep your head in the game in a sense, because the main tool of these people is fear. So the more susceptible you are to fear driven media campaigns, which a lot of people are, I mean, I think we saw this in a big way with COVID, but even before that you have post nine 11 in the United States and, you know, other times, other panics, a lot of which are generated by the media, the more susceptible you are to that, uh, the more of a sucker you'll be for these guys going forward. And the more likely you'll be willing to trade uh, your few remaining freedoms for a feeling of uh, safety and security from people that are just, you know, consistent liars. <laughs> so, you know, if they're, they're, they're going to tell you it's going to make them you safe. That's just to, you know, it, you know, it's like an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Where they, uh, you know, uh, emotional abusers or abusers in general keep their victims uh, like roped in by telling them all this stuff that plays 
their emotions and the good stuff about people. And it's that way for the elites uh, as well. You know, like we have to care about the planet. We have to care about each other. And, and they sort of play on these, you know, uh, the, your pull on your heartstrings and stuff, but they have no intention. They don't care about that stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, they're just using it because they want you to keep playing their game and they want you to keep giving outsourcing your power to them. Right. So they can run your life. And it's, it's like, it's like walking out of an emotionally abusive relationship, you know, our relationship with power. hundred yeah. percent. The, the people in power right now are essentially abusers on a mass scale. So you have to the, yeah, just say no and walk away yeah. and go like no contact and build your own system. and don't give them any power over you anymore. And we have yeah. to do that as a society. Um, and also when you're scared of these people, you are also giving them power over you. I mean, fear is is paralyzing, right? Um, and you know, to paraphrase the science fiction book Doom, it's the mind killer, right? Mm -hmm. and, and and I mean that it pretty much is. I mean, you don't think straight when you're afraid. So I think you no. know, there's a lot of uh, you know, mental changes, I guess, mental and emotional changes that people have to go through uh, in order to really break out of this this system. And I hope people do it quickly. Um, yeah, our our show has like, I mean, for us, like, I remember. You know, when I was in my like mid 20s and, you know, really getting, you know, quote unquote red pilled on a lot of stuff, I kind of was like trying to tackle these insurmountable objects on my own where I'm like, we're going to we're going to hunt down all the crazy plane riding pedophiles. <laughs> we're going to get them, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And it, I didn't give up on that. But what I realized is that, like, if a bunch of people make the individual choice to maybe, maybe don't sign up for Palm Pay. Maybe don't unlock your phone with Definitely your face. Like just, yeah. just all these little things like that that you can do. And if a lot of people do that stuff, a lot of these things are maybe don't just run out for the brand new pharmaceutical thing. That's all I'm going to say. Don't, don't just run out to it. Don't just sprint to, to a thing. <laughs> because that you're maybe, scared, right? Yeah, That's what happened with COVID and the COVID mm -hmm. vaccine for a lot of yeah. people. This is your only way out, people were told the only way out and it still wasn't yeah. right but it but but at the end yeah. of the day it doesn't matter these people are thinking in with a goldfish memory span where they don't know the history they don't necessarily know the future they know the present and the present yeah. is scary and again it was empathy <laughs> people's empathy they used to manipulate them oh if you don't take it you don't care about your grandma you're going to kill your grandma you don't care yeah. about your family you don't care about your kids you don't care about your community all of this stuff it's emotional manipulation these are like um, abusers yeah, it's no, yeah. It, you, you've put it uh, brilliantly there. And I, I just like I said, you know, like, thank you for the work that you do, because, again, it's very thorough. It's very it's very good. But you again, you don't just say like, well, uh, nothing we can do, you know, like just, uh, you know, here's all this scary information. And, you know, no, like, there is uh, stuff people can do. But again, mm -hmm. I think a lot of it's a mind game for a lot of people. Uh -huh. um, and then the the rest of it is taking per personal responsibility for your life. Um, and unfortunately, like those of us that are younger are stuck sort of with this mess created by our parents' generation to an extent who were really willing to have all this stuff outsourced because of convenience. Um, and then you end up having a completely unresilient lifestyle in the U.S. that's prone to all these supply chain shocks and can be cut off like that. You know, a lot of Americans, if food stopped arriving to their grocery store because there was some sort of problem with gas or oil or whatever, I mean, tons of people would starve, right? Um, a lot of the stuff that made America, you know, gave America the, the culture that it, it has had historically is from people who cared a lot about personal and individual sovereignty and uh, having that independence from the system. And I think Americans should consider getting back there, <laughs> uh, or at least looking to do that, whatever that looks like for you, you know.
Uh, absolutely. I think that's, that's brilliant. Well, uh, before we go, just, just, uh, people, some people don't know that you, you actually have a book, uh, out and I that's uh, rather, rather recently it's holding called... my webcam up right now. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> well, one of them, this is the other one, volume cool. one, one nation cool. under blackmail volumes yeah. one and two. Yeah. We love books on this show. We have a whole thing called Gain of Fiction, where we talk about uh, you know, <laughs> fiction, uh, all various works of fiction, because I do believe that even yeah. fiction tells you what's going to happen. But you're also, you know, I, I've, I've, nonfiction's great, too, especially when it's talking about stuff that we just talked about. So everybody go check out that book. Uh, Unlimited Hangout, Last American Vagabond. You can find Whitney in a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, thank you so much for your time. And uh, everybody have a safe week, okay? See you guys later. Thank you.